Loving God, today as we reflect on this Trinity Sunday, something that is bigger than any of our comprehension, but something we know is profound and important for the way in which you exist and are at work. Help us to understand what it is that you have revealed and to be in humility and awe before those deeper truths. In our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Would it be fair to say that often uh, clergy, when they approach preaching on Trinity Sunday, do so with a degree of trepidation? Because the Trinity is beyond any easy explanation. There's no one who can say, look, we've got it all sorted. And uh, we, can, we can work away at it from different directions and different dimensions. But we become increasingly aware of how inadequate any language is to try and explain the, uh, the complexity of the Godhead who we glimpse. It was even more so this morning at the 8.30 service when uh, I had known that um, Kevin Giles would be visiting, Kevin and Lindley. Kevin was the rector here from 1981 to 1994. And uh, I was recalling back then when uh, I met Kevin in the late 1990s, he said, oh, I'm just getting into uh, researching more about the Trinity. And when Kevin says he's getting into researching something, you know that about three or four books are going to emerge. And three and four uh, very, very significant books uh, have emerged <laughs> over that time. So uh, I had a bit of a chuckle about preaching before Kevin and I'm thinking, hoping I got my eyes, de- cross- eyes dotted and T's crossed. Um, Kevin told me my sermon was okay. So just letting you know. Um, there's a lot about the Trinity that is... Uh, raises more questions than it has answers. The word Trinity doesn't occur in the Bible. Um, The word itself means three in one, triune, but it is a label for truths that are very much in Scripture. In fact, the deeper we look at Scripture, the more we see how significant understanding God through three identities, three persons is the traditional way the language is used, but not persons as we would use them in a human sense. Language struggles to find a sort of ways to distinguish the Father and the Son and the Spirit whilst recognising there is but one God and only ever has been one God. But to explore the Trinity this week is not a, not a diversion from our series on exploring God's mission plan, which we've been summarising as shalom in the sanctuary of God, the whole purpose and direction of God's mission. We saw last week, as we focused on the, uh, the Spirit at Pentecost, that that was also not a diversion from our theme of mission because, as we saw, as I mentioned last week, the Holy Spirit is the chief actor of the mission of God, the chief agent of the mission of God. And so too when we come to understanding the Trinity the main message or the main truth that I want to really highlight is that the Trinity is where mission begins. It's the start of it all. It is the fountain that gives birth to the mission of God. Now, as we explore Ephesians 3, I'm not using it to sort of elaborate too much on the Trinity per se, 
but I'm using it to show how it is, it is there if we stop and pause to see. I said before, the word Trinity doesn't occur in Scripture, but the, what it is describing, what that label is describing is very much there. Some passages in Scripture are up near the, um, just below the surface of understanding it. So passages like um, Matthew 28, where the Great Commission is framed and baptizing in the name, the one name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can see that that notion is just below the surface. And there's a, a number of other passages that we would see that interrelationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit is summarized. But there are other passages which are a little bit deeper down where there's no less um, evident that God is at work and the way in which we perceive and understand that working of God is described as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's at that, that level I want to explore Ephesians 3 today. Let me start with a couple of quotes. And uh, these quotes... Uh, that one actually hasn't come out, so I have to give you that quote. Not sure why. It... Okay, interesting. Um, they were there at eight thirty. <laughs> Listen carefully, and I'll tell you what was on. It's behind that vague screen. Um, first quote is from a German theologian called Jürgen Moltmann, and these quotes are. Um, important ones, so I'm going to try and dwell on them. Moltmann has this quote that is picked up and has been repeated in various different versions um, for uh, many um, times since then. He was writing in the sort of second half of the 20th century. Moltmann said, It is not that the church that has a mission of salvation in the world. It's not that the church has a mission. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. Let me run it past again. It's not that the church has a mission. It's the mission of God as Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. I'm going to unpack it a bit more so it's not the only way of expressing it. A way in which it's often rehearsed is a little bit clearer. It is not that the church has a mission. It is that the God of mission has a church. It's not for us to sit there and think through, well, what mission do we want to set ourselves? Most agencies, most organisations, most groups sit down and say, what's our mission plan? Let's sit and work it out. That mission is given to us rather than our saying, we're the driving force of the mission. The difference is that we often perceive as mission that goes out from the church and happens elsewhere. We often talk about it as though our missionaries are this extraordinary other category of person with unique qualities that's certainly not us, who might be sent overseas or to another culture or another place. So we send them out. What this thinking is saying, no, what we do here in the middle of being the church is mission. So another way to explain it um, is a quote from David Bosch. David Bosch was a uh, South African missiologist who died sadly in a car accident in the early 1990s. 
but his teaching, his thought on mission have been very, very influential. His way of putting the same thought, mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. It's in God's very being and God's DNA that God is a missionary God. Now, I'm fearful that the next one is actually going to be a blank screen as well, and it is because they are both two big quotes. Okay. I'll have to stay with that, unfortunately, even though these are two significant and heavy quotes. So I can give you a printed copy afterwards if you want it. I've got it in front of me. Sorry, I didn't check that last night. This is the way that David Bosch puts it. Mission was understood in the early church as being derived from the very nature of God. It was not thus put in the context it was thus put in the context of the doctrine of the Trinity. In other words, understanding of the mission came out of an understanding of the Trinity, not out of the doctrine of ecclesiology, what it means to be church, and not out of soteriology. What is what we understand by way of salvation. The classical doctrine on the Missio Dei as God the Father sending the Son and God the Father and the Son sending the Spirit was expanded to include yet another movement. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit sending the church into the world. Now this is... Um, as deep as it will get. So I just want to ask you to hang in there and we'll just see if we can ride this one out. This Latin phrase, missio dei, is one that gets a lot of theologians and missiologists very excited, including myself. I love understanding, exploring the missio dei. The phrase means the sending God. Because God's character is mission, God sends here we begin to struggle with language. God sends God's self, God sends himself into the world in mission. So the Father sends the Son, the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. Then Missio Dei says, and there's one more movement that comes after that. The Father, the Son and the Spirit then send the church into the world. So Bosch summarises it. Mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument of that mission. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people, since God is a fountain of sending love. And I really wish I had that last verse on the screen. It actually is there, probably in white text. Um, so you have to imagine it for a moment. But let me just sit with that last sentence again. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people since God is a fountain 
of sending love. How clear can we understand that? That is actually clear. For God so loved the world, he sent his Son, that whoever would believe in him would not uh, would inherit eternal life. That is the movement of God. And the God who sent the Son and the Spirit has now sent the church. That is in our DNA, our essence of being the church. So having sort of touched on that, and it is a pretty deep end of the pool when it comes to understanding the Trinity and how it impacts on us, let's explore what that might look like in our passage in Ephesians chapter 3. Now this is, by the way, people were asking after the 8.30 service, it's known as the Celtic um, uh, ring of the Trinity. So it's a way of depicting the Trinity in its three parts that are bound together as one. And it's a beautiful image, and I find it quite a helpful one to uh, perceive something visually of what the Trinity is conveying. At the end of the passage we had last week in Genesis 2, we talked about on Pentecost Sunday just the, the Holy Spirit as the chief actor in the mission of God. And we talked about how the, in him, in the Spirit, the whole building of the church is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, use two, plural, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we've already seen how the the agency of the spirit is absolutely essential to the mission that we have, our life as a church. Where there is no working of the spirit, there is no church, there is no building, there is no dwelling of God in our midst. Now we come to the passage that we looked at uh, this week in chapter 3. And I just extracted a few verses to highlight where we can see this working of God as ascending God, it being in mission. Paul says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, God's provisioning, God's energy that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. I'm pretty sure in the first century when Paul wrote, as I have already written briefly, the congregation would have been chuckling and saying, you don't write anything briefly, Paul. Um, This is the same Paul who had that long sentence at the beginning of chapter 1, exploring all the things that have been done in and through Christ as an outworking of God's purposes. But Paul does give us a one-line summary of what that looks like. This is revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So one of the roles of the Spirit is to communicate between God in a meaningful way so that that which would otherwise be subject to our guessing and our speculation has been revealed, the curtains have been drawn back and can be known in some meaningful form. Obviously there's more that we don't fully comprehend, but there is sufficient for us to know and to understand God's working. So Paul's summary, what is this great mystery that is now revealed? It is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What does that look like? How does it translate into our world? 
God's purpose is to gather together one people, one new humanity that is not marked by divisions. God's purpose is that communities don't divide up into them and us. It doesn't divide up into smaller tribal groups that are at enmity and hold people at a distance. God wants people to gather together with all those barriers broken down. Last week I gave an expression of that in the the story of, um, or in the ritual of the prathiri, the welcome ceremony that the Māori do when visitors approach the Marae, the village at the centre of any town in New Zealand. And as uh, people would approach, they they have a name for it, they are the outsiders. As they approach and they go through that process of explaining who they are, who their people are, the assurance they come in peace, and hearing of that exchange, it culminated with the hongi, the nose-to-nose, breathing of one air, And at that moment, we are one. There is no us and them. There is only us. And that's actually a very strong part of the New Zealand culture now, that the nation views those who come come as guests, but they they are there as us in that space. Um, Viv Canberra went off last week, so I had the story of uh, Rebecca Gibney and how powerful that was for her in discovering her ancestry and um, some significant um, awful things that her great-great-grandfather had done as part of the militia and how the Māori had received her. Um, apparently it's on, it is available on SBS. You can actually see that episode of uh, Re- Rebecca Gibney's journey back to New Zealand and that moment. So this is God's purpose, that there would be one humanity, not two, not multiple, not many, and we recognise that oneship is found in and through the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul then highlights why Christ is central to this work, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This language of being in him, in Christ, through Christ, appears time and time again. It is so central to weaving the fabric of the mission of God. And as Paul continues, he sees that I, the I here is Paul, says, and I'm now drawn into this mission. I've become a minister, a servant of that, this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. The grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ to welcome them into the mission the kingdom of God in the western world western church the world the church that's sort of based around Rome in its longer traditions and the Latin statements the language that's chosen to use to describe the trinity is the language of person three persons one God The Eastern Church, the Greek-speaking church, used different language. And rather than using the language of of person, they used the language of energy. And I really like that. Understanding the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as three energies of God 
that are engaging, that are energizing, that are bringing life and vitality in the mission of God. It's a much more dynamic notion of the Trinity. So Paul is talking about the working of this power that has now been given in God's grace to us, to all those who follow Christ. So we come to the full circle of where does the church fit within this. And verse 10 of this chapter then talks about how the church, we are drawn into this. His God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Um, Some questions after the morning service of who are these uh, rulers and authorities And we don't have a clear answer other than it's that great cosmic sense that there is a spiritual realm, much of which which is opposed to the the work of God and the mission of God. So when we see works in the world where there's something influencing uh, dictators and rulers and others to do awful acts, when there is a realm that's uh, influencing the sense that We don't want them and we will go to war against them as we would see in Ukraine. Whatever that realm is that's influencing that, need to hear that that is not God's purpose and God will prevail in his mission of bringing that oneness, that one new humanity. So all this through the church according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where does it leave us on this Trinity Sunday? There are various ways in which we can formulate some understanding of what the Trinity is and isn't. And uh, if what I've said to you so far today hasn't satisfied you, um, you can take a prayer book home. We have an abundance available. You could look up the Athanasian Creed, which is right towards the end of the prayer book. And in traditional churches, the Athanasian Creed was read on Trinity Sunday. It's a long creed. But that only gets us so far in our understanding of why the Trinity is so important. But where we see the Trinity as God's energy, God engaging with the world as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, working together in harmony, in synergy of one mind, the one mission, there is no hierarchy within God. That's actually one of the dangerous Uh, errors in understanding the Trinity that is uh, sadly occurring within the church today, the the sense that the the Father is a higher being within the Trinity and the the Son is subordinate and the Spirit follows. And it's often used to justify a sense of uh, subordination of women is actually quite fallacious and dangerous. Kevin Giles has written three books on it. This is what Kevin has done so well, um, arguing the case. But it isn't just because we're just revisiting it. It was never understood in a hierarchical term. There is a coexistence where the three are of one mind, one purpose, one love, and work in concert with each other. But when we recognize it is in the name of that God that we have gathered here this morning, it is in the name of that God that we might volunteer to be involved in various areas of service and mission that becomes energising. So I hope as we touch on the mission, 
and the and the understood as the the uh, the Trinity in terms of the mission of God. It isn't just a an esoteric topic that floats away up there, but it draws us closer into that mystery of who God is. And I come back to that final line from uh, David Bosch. To participate in this mission, which is here at this place, at this time, in this neighbourhood, in this city, is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people since God is a fountain of sending love. Amen. If you want to see those quotes in full, they actually are available on Nova Church Online. The video version does have them. We're going to have an interlude item now. We have these to create some thinking